<laughs> All right. Another cool video. So, uh, one thing I love, it's been fun to see that it's, um, through the years, and, and really, Cole's a good example. Someone's just using their giftedness, and when you use your giftedness, there's great joy in it. And, and so we appreciate all the work you've done. One thing I also love is this week we knew we wanted to do something for Cole. And we said we should do like a montage of all those videos. So I talked to Paige. I said, hey, Paige, why don't you call Cole, ask him to put together something. <laughs> Knowing Cole is the kind of guy who's like, that will be great. I'd love to do it. So thank you for putting together a montage video for yourself. <laughs> Nobody could do it as well as you did it either. It was amazing. I could, it was weird that even watching it, I see like him riding on a polar bear and I'm getting tears. I'm like, this is just so sweet. So, you know, you pulled it all off. So good job. <laughs> well, what, what's going on? Uh, let's see. Super Bowl Sunday. All right. We got to get this out of the way. Let's get this out of the way. How many for the Broncos? Seriously, if I asked you that at the beginning of the season, would you have said the same thing? I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah, Peyton, man, come on now. All right, now, um, Carolina, anyone? Yeah. Oh, wow, the realists, great. Okay, so, um, <laughs> man, all right, and, and how many of you are just cheering for Peyton Manny? It's like you're, you want him to win. Yeah, okay, I am the opposite. I'm cheering against Peyton Manning. It's been, it's been a philosophy of my whole life to cheer against the Manning brothers, and so... I will stick to it. So, <laughs> so it, it is a fun day for us. I was thinking about um, uh, sports. You know, obviously, it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Everyone, even those of you who don't like sports, you can't get away from it today. But there's this guy named Barry Bremen. Maybe you've heard of him. But in 1979, Barry Bremen, he's a, a salesman living in Detroit. And he and his buddies went to the NBA All-Star Game. And he went to the NBA All-Star Game, and on that week they were um, hanging out, and they had really great seats, they had courtside seats. And his friends bet him, they said for $20, because they were saying, wouldn't it be fun someday to, to warm up with these NBA players and to shoot you know, layups with them, do kind of the pregame thing. And, and Barry said, I want to do that one day. And they said, we bet you $20 that you can't, that you'll never do that. Well, Barry found a way. They were sitting behind the bench, and some guy left his warm-up clothes, so he took them before the game. At halftime, when the players came out, Barry had put those warm-up clothes on and ran out on the court and did the pregame warm-up with the NBA All-Star team. He, he was, his friend said he was chunking layups and bricking free throws and all this, and he went to the other players and said, don't be alarmed, I'm an imposter. I'm not going to hurt you, this is just a bet. And so he did this, he even went, when the game st- came back on, he went and sat at the end of the bench, just sitting there, in his warm-up clothes. It took a while, until actually the guy who, those were his warm-up clothes, realized, wait, <laughs> you're not me, <laughs> for the security, security to escort him away. That led to a new little lifestyle for Barry Bremen. In 1979, he also made it on the field for the Major League All-Star Game, dressed as a New York Yankee. He did the entire batting practice in the field. When the team lined up to take the, the, the uh, team picture of All-Stars, Barry was in the back row standing next to George Brett. And when the league officials were writing down the names of the players in order, they got to a guy, they had no idea who he was. <laughs> Realizing he should be an all-star, we should know who you are, he got escorted off the field. 
He made it to another NBA on the court of an NBA All-Star game in 1981. He made it to the 1986 um, American, or sorry, uh, Major League Baseball All-Star game, dressed as a New York Met. He got uh, ushered off the field by none other than Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> 1980, he lined up with the umpires when six umpires for the World Series lined up before the game. There was actually seven standing there. <laughs> Barry was the seventh. Uh, in 1980 Super Bowl, he came out as the line judge for the Super Bowl. Uh, he made it, uh, oh, this one's great. 1979, his first year of doing this, it, he had been caught a few times. He went to a Dallas Cowboys game. They had his picture at all the entrances. Don't let this guy in. <laughs> Barry had been preparing for this day. He lost a lot of weight. He got in great shape. He showed up, got through, wore disguise, got through security. When the game began... He jumped on the field dressed as a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. <laughs> he did half a cheer before being tackled and hogtied, handcuffed, and taken away. Banned from Dallas Stadium the rest of his life. <laughs> he, in 1986, played a full practice round of golf with Fred Couples and Haas on the, for the U.S. Open. Uh, he snuck on, on hole number two, he came out of the bushes with his clubs and a caddy, and Fred Couples thought it was funny, so they played the entire round together. Fred Couples says this, this guy comes out of the shrubs on the second hole, hits his tee shot that buzzes the spectators. <laughs> he had this big wig on and a visor, and he looked out of place. We didn't care, he just did his deal and had a great time. It didn't take long for people to scream out, who is that guy? I mean, the cat was out of the bag after a couple holes, but we didn't get in trouble and no one came out to get him. So, he also, in 1986, during the Emmy Awards, was sitting in the front row dressed in his tuxedo when the award was given to Betty Thomas for Best Actress in Hill Street Blues. He jumped out of his seat, ran onto the stage, and accepted it on her behalf. Much to the shock of Betty Thomas, who was sitting in the crowd getting up to come to accept her award. That was his swan song. He, re he retired at that point. Someone asked him why he doesn't do it anymore, and he said, because after 9-11 and taser guns, it's something I can't do anymore. He died a couple of years ago on his 64th birthday. Barry Bremen, it's a funny story. It's funny to, to kind of laugh and hear his story, but the life he was living in, in, in jest really is very similar to a lot of us. You see, because Barry was pretending to be someone else a lot of the time. And the truth is, a lot of us in our human condition, I wouldn't even say a lot of us, all of us have those moments when we try to be and pretend to be someone who we're not. Barry became known as the great imposter. I wonder how many of us, if we were honest before one another and before God, would say, hey, I also am the great imposter. This morning we're going to continue our series through the book of Ephesians. And to the, this point in the book, Paul has been uh, taking time to write about the first three chapters. We're all about God's work in our lives. The fact that God initiates and reaches out to us. That God offers salvation to us because of His grace, because of His love, because of His work. The first three chapters remind us of our identity that's found in Christ because of His work. Again, not because of our own. 
And in chapter 4 through 6, Paul changes the page and says, in light of this, the, the idea that this story is God's story and that we are just pieces in it, rather than the way we like to think of life, is this is our story and God is just a piece of it. But Ephesians says, no, this is a God-centric view of life. It begins with Him. And because of that, the first three chapters remind us, now the next three chapters, Paul says, because you are in God's story, here's a way in which we should live. And today in chapter 4, we're going to look at one verse in verse 25. And when we look at that verse, this is a verse that reminds us of this is one of the ways of God. We live this way because this is God's story. And we are just pieces in it. So as we start today, let's take a moment to pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. And we'll jump into the text. God, we thank you for this time. Uh, I thank you even for the joy that we can have together, for the uh, ability to laugh and, and enjoy life, not always take ourselves so seriously. Um, we thank you for that. And we thank you, uh, God, that you also um, have paved the way for us in life, that you've given us the ability to have an abundant life. And it's a life that begins with you, and it's about you. So I pray right now, Lord, that you'd speak to us, that this would, you'd convict our hearts, each one of us, and you'd help us to change and be more like you, transformed by your love. So we give you this time now. Amen. So I invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And as we look at this again, remember the context that this is a God-centric story that we find ourselves in. Now, when we look at verse 25, this is the beginning of a new section of thought, really, for Paul. And as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he's going, through a, he's going to enter into a series of five different instructions here. And each of these begin kind of with a, a negative command. Today's is lay aside falsehood. In other words... Quit being dishonest, essentially is what he's saying. And then there's always a positive command that follows, and it says, but speak the truth in love, or speak the truth to one another. So the first one, there's always a negative, then a positive, and then he follows it with a reason. And this one is, for you are members of one another. We'll look at that in depth in just a moment. But Paul's entering now a series where there's five different statements about it. The next one is, when you're angry, do not sin, but rather... Take care, don't let the sun go down your anger. So he gives you two things because we don't want to give the devil a foothold. So in this section, he's going to give negative, positive, and a, a reason why. Now, when we look at this, it gets very specific for things that humans typically struggle with. So the question here for us before we get to that is what's the greater context? If we jump back to verse 17 in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul has been uh, explaining. Uh, life and he says no longer walk and live as the Gentiles live in other words for, as those who are not followers of God you are to live a different way now you don't have to live by those commands by verse 24 of chapter 4 he says put it on the old self remember we talked about this last week put off the old self and put on the new self so this is the context that's leading up to it so Paul's saying you have a new life you have a new, a new reason for living the way you live so therefore, now let me get into some specific instructions for how that might look. So again, let's jump um, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Just read that one. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members 
of one another. As we get into this, let's start with the, with the reason why. Anyone familiar with the book, Start With Why? We'll do that here this morning. Let's begin with why. Why is this so important? If Paul is talking about laying aside falsehood, quit being dishonest, but rather speak truth because we're members of one another, why is this important? Why is that the reason? So let's start with that and we're going to work our way kind of back from there. First of all, he says, why does honesty matter? It's this, because Paul is painting a picture, he says, because you are members of one another, that together as the church is other Christians, together you make up the image of God. Look back at verse 24 of Ephesians. He says, when you put on the new self, which is put on the new self, which is being made in the likeness of God, you're being created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Put on the new self because that is in the likeness of God. Verse 25, Paul says, the likeness of God includes one another. Think of it this way. None of us in here, we all, if you're called to follow Jesus, you're called to represent his image and character. But news for you is not any one of us is a complete picture of the character of God. None of us can do it on our own. Because if we did, we would be perfected humans. We are being perfected, but we are not yet there. So we need one another to demonstrate to the world a complete picture of the character of God. Just think of this. If I were to ask you, do you lean a little more grace-based? Are you kind of more of a justice-based? Or, or you like to stand for truth? Or are you on the real, hey, I'm gracious to everyone's side? You don't have to raise your hands. But a lot of us are one or the other on that. Some are very good about being compassionate and patient. Some of you are kind of more on the speaking truth or being a prophetic voice. And all of that is important. But together we collectively give the image of God. To make it a little more clear, let's say that with my body, I said I wanted my body to portray the image of me. And I said, I want you to know everything about me, so you look at my body, but I'm only going to give you a picture of my arm. Now, I know some of you would say, oh, he must be a bodybuilder. Yeah, I know. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, obviously, if you only had a picture of my arm, you'd say, you'd make some assumptions that are probably not true about me. Just as the body of Christ, we need one another to give the perfect picture or the completed picture of who God is to the world. So we are members of one another, so it's very important that truth is a part of us because together we are displaying the character of God. Now again in verse 24, here's just a few things that he says what it looks like to be in the, the character of God. It says you're being the likeness of God includes righteousness. That's right relationships with one another. That's friendship with one another and with God. You can't have that when there's dishonesty. Holiness says the identifying picture of the image of God. Holiness is being set apart living lives that are different than what you see everywhere else. The collective gathering of the church should look very different than a gathering at the American Legion. <laughs> it should be different. We're set apart. Truth should be a mark of God's character. Think of just too. this is pretty obvious, but if people cannot find Christians to be truthful, what are they going to think when we start telling them about God? <laughs> if you're dishonest about little things or big things, why should they believe you? 
when you talk about the most important things. So we need one another. We need truth to be a part of it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, I have it on the screen for you, says this, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and you put on the new self, was being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So do not lie, because we're not giving the full picture of who God is. So honesty matters, because it's the image of God. Now, let's go back to verse 25 here and jump into this where it says, So therefore, lay aside falsehood. We know the why now. Because we're given an imperfect image of the, of the body of Christ and who God is. So he says, lay aside falsehood. In other words, don't be dishonest. Don't be dishonest. See, the Ephesians were living in a world that was, a world that was very contrary to the ways of God. It was one of the larger cities in the ancient world. Idolatry was a big part of their life. There was uh, cultic temple prostitution going on. They had one of the ancient wonders, uh, or one of those seven wonders of the ancient world was the temple to the goddess Artemis, goddess of fertility. It was a big part of their culture and DNA. In fact, their economy was, was based a, somewhat on people making idols and sacrifices to the goddess. We find in the book of Acts that a riot started because so many Christians were seeing radical life transformation and they were giving up on their old lifestyle. They're giving up their idols. It was affecting the very life in the city of Ephesus. So people started getting nervous about it. So it was a context, it was a world in which being a Christian, you had to make that decision. But now consider how difficult it would be to be a Christian to become a follower of Jesus, and now everything you used to know no longer fits with your new reality. So they were struggling with honesty on a couple sides. One, they were struggling now when they're with their non-Christian friends who they used to live a certain life with. It was a struggle. Do I live under, as a Christian or should I live a double life with my, new, with my old friends? They were struggling with one another as Christians should I act like all of this is no longer a part of my life and just put on the nice Christian face when I show up among my Christian friends? So you can see these are issues that we would never face, ever. It's just the people in Ephesus. So, good, thanks. John, you and I get that one, right? We're right there on that, yeah. <laughs> of course, this, this is very much like you and me. The things that we deal with today. And Paul says, lay aside dishonesty. What does that look like? What does that look like? Now, first of all, why does he even want that? We, we already looked at some of the why, but first think of this. Falsehood is almost always about trying to make ourselves look or feel better than we actually are. Or trying to make someone else seem worse than they are. Almost always. Even if you say, well, maybe I just lied. If someone said, hey, I, did you break the lamp? No, I didn't break the lamp. You're trying to make yourself better. You're trying to say, I didn't make a mistake. Or I didn't have bad intentions. Or whatever it is. Falsehood is almost always linked to trying to make ourselves appear different than who we are. Often better. And so Paul is saying, lay that aside. Lay aside falsehood. A refreshing openness is in view here, within the body of Christ, is it in view here. 
He's saying in the body of Christ, there should be this openness, laying aside of all dishonesty. Quit trying to be someone other than you are. Should we be people who are being transformed? Of course. Should we be people who are living in light of God's truth and seeing our lives change? Yes. But he says, lay aside that desire to hide who you are. Don't show up and be someone different. Don't go to your life group and say, you know, everything's fine. I just, you know, I had a hangnail this week. You could pray for that. He's saying, lay aside the dishonesty. It's not helping the image of God. Now, why? Why do we start with that? One, I have a couple thoughts. First one is this. When we lay aside dishonesty, we're showing our need for Christ. When we lay aside our dishonesty and we're honest with who we are, with our struggles, it shows our need for Christ. I have it on screen for you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10 through 10 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make Him, or Jesus, out to be a liar and His word is not in us. In other words, if we go around and show up and, and exist as Christians and say, you know what, we don't have issues because I'm a follower of Jesus now, We actually are saying we no longer need the work of Christ in our lives. We're saying the work of Jesus on the cross isn't, I don't, you don't need it anymore. I can do this on my own. You're saying you don't need the Holy Spirit of God to transform and change you. When we try to pretend and we give a dishonest view of who we are. That's why Paul, this seems so simple when you first read it. And if we read it just to say, do not lie, we think, okay, that makes sense. We say, no, don't be dishonest. Because when we are really honest with who we are, it points and shows our need for Christ. It embraces the grace of God. It elevates who He is. It's also this, when we deceive others about the struggles in our own lives, about our image, we're actually taking things into our own hands and playing the part of God. So we're saying, I've got this. I can figure it out. I can figure it out. But when we say, you know, I'm trying to figure it out, but I can't. I need need others. I need the Spirit of God to move. We're showing our need for Christ. We're pointing back to Him. The other thing that laying aside dishonesty does is it shows the power of Christ. It puts the power of God on display. Look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15-16. through 16. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who believe in Him for eternal life. In other words, Paul says, when we are honest, when Paul was being honest about who he was and and his real life and the work of God in him, it actually puts the power of Christ on display. When you show up maybe with your life group or your Rudy group or other fellow Christians that you get to know, maybe even those who are not followers of God, and you say, hey, listen, this is really, I'm, I'm not perfect, God's working on me, this is an area where He's transforming It puts the power of God on display. Now, when you're a new Christian or maybe just returning to the faith, sometimes these seem a lot easier to find, right? 
The things you can say, well, God's changing this, this, this. That's a lot easier when we're kind of just getting going. And the longer you've been a Christian, it doesn't mean you have less needs or that Jesus isn't still transforming you. Maybe the things feel more subtle. I think of my life and sometimes, uh, you know, I can take the easy one and say, oh, one of my my sins is, is pride. But I actually don't think pride is one of my sins. I'm fine with that. I'm not at all prideful. I'm uh, pretty humble. And um, no, I'm just kidding. But actually, pride often shows up as the last result. When I really look back, I think, you know what? I don't like making mistakes. I hate letting people down. You say, Ryan, that's a good thing that you don't. Yeah, it is good. I always strive for excellence. I don't want to make mistakes. But you know what the root of that is? Because I don't want you to look at me and think I'm not perfect. So I don't want you to look at me and think I'm weak or that I have deficiencies. As if any of you think that I'm perfect. <laughs> but we deceive ourselves, right? And I know that that always comes up. If you say, Ryan, you know, I feel like you, you dropped the ball on this. I'm not mad at you for telling me. I'm mad at myself that I dropped the ball. And often it's not because I failed at something. It's because you think I did and I look weak. God needs to transform me from that. Because when I, when I live that way and try to be perfect, and hey, I, I'm striving for excellence, but when, I keep, when that keeps rising up, I'm saying, God, I got this. Don't worry. I don't trust your image in me. I don't trust that you are sufficient for me. I don't trust that my identity in you is enough. Because I, I got enough on my own. I can, I can be strong on my own. But when I can admit, no, this is an area in my life, that keeps popping up. I think Jesus can shine. He can be where I can't be. So that's an area there that we think about. I was thinking of this, and why did Jesus seem to respond so positively to those who were honest with their struggles? Do you ever notice Jesus' life? How he responded to the sinner on the side of the road, banging his chest, saying, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. To the prostitute who came in and said, I'm a sinner, but I'm falling at your feet. To a woman at the well when she was finally honest with who she was. Jesus responded well to those who said, hey, I'm not, I'm not lying. This is who I am. Because his power could show up in, his, in their lives. The Pharisees who were self-righteous and tried to do things on their own said, I'm holy on my own. Jesus didn't respond well to them. He said, oh, you don't need God? Okay. How's that working? Professor at Wheaton College, Dr. Jerry Root, who's a C.S. Lewis professor, uh, wrote this once. He said, God is always coming back to us most dramatically in our brokenness because he loves us. And he said, have you ever noticed any, everyone in the Bible could have introduced themselves, him or herself in some sort of recovery group? <laughs> Hi, my name is Abraham. I'm a coward and a liar. Hi, we're Isaac and Rebecca. We are dysfunctional parents. <laughs> my name is Aaron. I'm a religious leader, but I cave into peer pressure. Hi, my name is Moses. I'm hot-headed and a murderer. My name is Samson, and I struggle with lust. My name is Elijah, and I struggle with depression. My name is Thomas. I struggle with doubt. As we observe these folks, we see that each one was flawed and yet did a significant amount of kingdom work. I do not believe that they were rewarded for their flaws, nor do I believe that their flaws were unrelated to the good that occurred in their lives. The flaws became grace places, places of humility, which I believe is a synonym, synonym for honesty. They came to acknowledge in progressively deeper ways their need for God's love and mercy. 
For to each in his or her specific need, God came because he loved them as he loves us. And it's a love that's not conditioned by performance. See, when we lay aside falsehood, God can shine. And let's be honest, we all have a lot that we want to hide. And we don't want to be a church community that's hiding it. Because then we're hiding the work of God in our lives. Okay, so lay aside falsehood. The next one is this. Speak the truth. So the opposite of of do not be deceptive is so speak truth. Truth is conforming one's words to reality. Think of it that way. Conforming your words to reality. Now what's the result of speaking truth? A A couple thoughts on these. One is when we speak the truth, it strengthens the church. It builds up the body of Christ. This is the bodybuilding in in Christianity right here. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says this, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects of Him who is the head of the church, even Christ. As we speak the truth in love to one another, we're building each other up into, into the complete image of God. That's why it's so important to speak the truth. Now some of you, I know, you love to speak truth to people. Some of you, you're, you're good at it. You have no problem finding the things to speak truth. Don't forget the in love part. <laughs> and don't forget the fact that someone could probably speak truth to you. <laughs> and you need to hear it as well. But we do need to have, we want to be a community of people who are speaking truth. Now, let's not do it on the plaza on Sunday morning from across the room. <laughs> That's not in love. When you see it like, hey, Ryan, you know, you know, and, and, and point something out. This is why we are so committed to life groups. Why we're so committed to being connected in smaller groups. Because when you're in those smaller groups, you have an environment in which you can speak the truth to one another in love. If you don't know the person, it's probably not in love. Not saying there's never a time for it, but it's a little more difficult to be loving when you don't know them. And you don't know the whole story. But we want to speak the truth because it strengthens the church. Now, what are the truths we want to speak? Truth about God. We want to tell each other the truth about God. One of the reasons we gather weekly is because we want to remind ourselves of the, who God is. We want to remind ourselves of the character of God, of the doctrines of the faith. What do we believe? Why is that important? So we speak the truth about God. We speak the truth about sin. My sin and your sin. I'm the kind of person, I don't like talking about sin. I wish we could avoid it altogether, the whole conversation. I, I would love to just to be all about grace. And you can come with any struggle, and you come to me, and I'll say, hey, God's grace covers you, and that's true. But sometimes we have to speak into one another's life and say, you know, I know we've been in a life group for 15 years together, and every week you've come to me and said you're struggling with this same sin. How about we deal with it? <laughs> Sometimes we need to speak the truth into each other's life. So speaking the truth strengthens the church. The other thing it does, and probably most important, is it honors God. When we speak the truth, it shows that we trust God's ways are good. It shows that we trust that even when we speak the truth, even when we receive the truth, that we're trusting that the way God has designed things is a good way. We can accept it. And that's honoring to God. I love in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Simple proverb, it says this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. 
I don't know about you, but if I could go to God and say, what do you think of me? And he says, oh, you are my delight. That would be a pretty good thing. Speaking truth to God is a delight. It honors him. It lifts him up. Again, it comes down to trust. Do I trust that as I speak truth that, God, you're still in control? Do I trust that as I speak truth that you got my life in your hands, that my identity is okay with you? That even the consequence of speaking truth or receiving truth is okay because I trust that my life is in your hands, God. It's honoring to God. See, I think honesty and truth give a picture of God's character. When the world is looking at you and me and us together, what's the picture they see? Do they see a picture of people who are filled with deceit, who are hypocrites? You ever hear that? Christians are such hypocrites. I always say, well, we're not hypocrites, we're just not perfect. Christians who say we don't have issues are hypocrites. I don't know about you, but I'm willing to admit I've got plenty of issues. When the world sees that it's an honest community that interacts with one another with love, it's compelling. Honesty and truth is a compelling thing. Lifting God up and trusting in Him is a compelling thing. Being in a church that's a safe place to be who you are in the process of being transformed is compelling. Can we be that kind of church that lays aside dishonesty, that embraces truth, that says, God, we're all open before you. We're in the process of being transformed by your grace. We don't need to hide. We don't need to pretend. We just want to be changed by you and trust you. And we're going to walk with our brothers and sisters and lift them up when they need it, encourage them when they need it, Be there for one another. It's a wonderful picture of God's character. As we end, I want to read some words uh, from a poem by Francis Thompson. The poem's called The Hound of Heaven. And in this poem, there's a hound who represents God who's uh, chasing after a person. The hound asks the man who's been running from the hound. So you can see that this person is, it's analogy here. And he says this, Human love demands human meriting. How hast thou merited? Of all man's dingiest clay, you are the dingiest clot. (laughs) Alas, thou knowest not how unworthy of love you are. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. Rise, clasp my hand and come. When we think about our lives before God. I'm going to invite the worship team to start making their way up. You don't have to stand before God as a picture of perfection. You don't have to stand before God already completely transformed. We want to be people who stand before God as works in progress. Us the dingiest clot. (laughs) Who could love someone like us? Save God. Save only God. Let's lay aside dishonesty. Let's speak truth. 
Let's be real in who we are. And let the grace and the goodness and the power of God shine in us as we interact as honest people. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your amazing love. I thank you so much for your amazing patience with us as people who are being transformed. God, often, often, God, we struggle with dishonesty. Like the great imposter, we want to let show people that we're someone we're really not. But God, would you break through that this morning? Would you break through that in our life groups, in our rooted groups? Would you break through that in our men's studies, and our women's studies? And help us be a community of people who can be honest because it's a picture of who you are. And it's a compelling picture of being a community that's being transformed because of your power and your love. So God, would you speak to our hearts now? And if there's anyone here this morning who knows that they've been playing a game, they've been hiding, they've been trying to give a picture of someone who they really are not, they're trying to be someone else, and they're holding back from the power of your change in their lives, would you break through this morning? God, for those in our lives that we need to hear the truth from, would you give them the courage to speak truth to us? That we can hear from you, be transformed into your likeness. Lord, would you continue to move in this place and help Seacoast Church be a place of hope and healing and grace to our community that more and more could know about you and be transformed by your amazing power and your love and your goodness. So speak to us now, God, as we worship and respond to you.